This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Hey everybody, welcome to Green Talk Radio. This is Sean Daly. Very excited about today's episode. I know I say that a lot, but I really am excited about today's episode. My guest today is Jill Fahrenbacher, who is the founder and publisher of Inhabitat, as well as Inhabitats.com. Their internet blog is devoted to tracking innovations in future-forward sustainable design. The Inhabitat site, started in 2005, is actually now the largest independently owned green blog on the internet, as well as the largest design and architecture site. That site's mission is summed up in the statement, green design is good design, and good design is green design. Though many of you will know Jill best for her work at Inhabitat, she's also recently launched a sister site called Inhabitats.com this past summer. She says that she was inspired to create Inhabitats in preparation for the arrival of her first baby, which just arrived, I understand, uh, six weeks ago. And the site focuses on products for kids, babies, and parents. In addition to being a mom to a six-week-old baby, she's a small business owner running the two blogs, and she's also a freelance designer and green design consultant. She was educated at Brown, where she received a BA in art semiotics, Central St. Martin's, where she received her MA in design studies, and Columbia University, where she studied architecture. Wow. Well, welcome to the program, first of all, Jill. Thank you. Your life exhausts me. (laughs) Even reading about your life, it's like, oh, I just, you blow me away with what you've done. So first of all, congratulations on all the success of both the sites and and certainly, uh, you know, last but not least uh, with the new baby. Thank you so much. Well, Jill, I can only imagine that this is a very exciting and perhaps exhausting time for you. Does that about sum it up? Uh, yes, but it's very fulfilling. I, I love I love working on this stuff. It's uh, you know it it brings purpose to my life, so I'm enjoying it immensely. So I know that Inhabitats was inspired by your becoming pregnant with your first child. Uh, would you mind sharing that story with us? Yeah, in fact, it actually um, it started even a little before then because um, one of our writers. You know, one of our um, our best kind of longest-standing writers, Abigail, um, actually got pregnant and with twins. And I had, you know, I had sort of been planning or thinking in the back of my mind that I was moving down that path too. But when she got pregnant, we started um, we started doing more and more posts on Habitat about baby products. Um, in fact, we actually had been covering baby products sort of from the get-go because. Um, the site has always had a high, a good proportion of female writers. What is your percentage breakdown, if you don't mind sharing? I'm kind of curious about that. Writers or readers? Uh, with readers? With readers? Um, with readers, it's pretty 50-50, actually. Okay, and, and then on, on the writer side? At this point on the writer side, there's still, more, um, there's still more women than men. But now we've got, I'd say, I guess we have like three... We've got three guys on a team of like 20 people. Um, for quite a while, we had no guys on a team of like, you know, like six or 
seven people. Yeah, well, that's actually pretty good. I was just talking to, uh, recently talking to Sarah Ost of Eco Salon, and she said, she's like, we have one, he's our token guy, <laughs> our token writer on staff. So uh, yeah. that's good. I think at three, you're doing, you're doing well. Well, you know, I think it's just sort of, I don't know if it's like just a personal thing that I, it's just kind of coincidence. I know a lot of green sides actually have more male writers than female writers, but for whatever reason, for whatever reason, we were always very female oriented. And, um, and I think even though like none of us had, had kids at the beginning, we were still writing about kids clothes and baby toys and things like that. Um, and then once one of my writers got pregnant and we started to beef up the coverage on that. And we started a column on Inhabitat called Inhabitats. And I, I kind of knew, and then I became pregnant, and it was sort of like I knew it was only a matter of time where I really wanted to turn that into a separate site. Because, because you know, I look at the demographics of our readers. We have, it's very, it's pretty wide demographic, especially in terms of the age range. So we've got a lot of, like, 18, 19-year-old guy um, readers and I, I, you know, I figured there's definitely a, a big contingent for whom the uh, the kid and parenting stuff was of interest, but even more so, there was probably a large a large audience for you know, probably wasn't that interesting on Inhabitat. So I thought it was important to kind of break it out until to his own site and create kind of a special niche audience for for parents and kids and allow allow the regular readers of Inhabitat not to be inundated with that stuff. <laughs> Sure. So how long did it take for the blog to go from inception to actually going live? Not very long. We, uh, we, I've been thinking about it for quite a while. We, we've been producing content for it for maybe like, you know, five or six months. But really, I just I designed the site, I think, in um, June or July and then launched it in August. So it was a pretty quick turnaround once I said, okay, I'm doing this. I had a looming deadline, which was the birth of my child. <laughs> I was like, I gotta, I gotta get this up before I have my baby. And you know what's funny? I actually launched in Habitats on August sixth, and then I had my baby the day, the day after. Oh wow! So I really went into labor like after I launched the site. You really take your deadline seriously. <laughs> I really did. Yeah, and that's, I think there's some sort of psychological component to that. I don't know what it was, but like somehow I just felt okay. My job is done now. <laughs> I can have a baby. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, there's got to be something to that. Well, so I'm curious, if you don't mind, I mean, one of the, the questions that I like to ask all of my guests, and especially bloggers and experts and writers and so forth, is to share tips with our audience. And in this case, I'd, I'd love if you could share some tips for maybe for expectant moms who are thinking about, you know, going down a greener path in their own lives. Well, I think, I think one big tip is that, you know, there's definitely like a big industry around um, pregnancy and giving birth. And of course, there there are a lot of things that you do need for having a new baby, but then there's a lot of stuff that you probably don't need. So I guess one one tip would be to not be overwhelmed by like the long, extensive list of all these crazy things you need and just to kind of try to take it as it comes and buy things as you need them and also to try to seek out um, secondhand sources, you know, things like baby clothes, uh, you know, toys, books, things like that. So car seats, you know, there's a lot that you can get secondhand and maybe just kind of try to not get completely overwhelmed with the the pressure of all the consumption on the baby stuff. Right. Well, what are you, I'm just curious also, what are you finding personally to be the biggest challenge in, in making green choices as a new mom yourself? I think it's really just like not getting overwhelmed by things. Um, there's so much, I think, you know, with, with baby stuff, 
with the sustainability issue and baby stuff, a lot of it kind of comes down to the health issue, and and that, you know that's just sort of one component of sustainability, obviously. But um, but I think that's kind of the big one in terms of what moms are thinking about in terms of what you know what their baby's toys and, and bedding and clothing is made out of, what's in the food, um, what's in bottles, that sort of thing. And if you really start analyzing everything, you can get really um, neurotic or overwhelmed with things. Yeah. I think, I think the big challenge is to try to be an informed consumer while also still enjoying yourself and, and you know, not going crazy about things. So I think it's just kind of trying to find a good balance. I am talking with Jill Fahrenbacher. She's the founder and publisher of Inhabitat and Inhabitats, and we'll be right back on Green Talk Radio. Thanks, everybody. Okay, and we're back on Green Talk Radio. This is Sean Daly talking with Jill Fahrenbacher, the founder and editor-in-chief of the very popular green blogs Inhabitat and Inhabitats. So Inhabitat, no S, Inhabitats with an S. I just want to make sure everybody knows that out there if you're typing it in and going into your browser. Uh, she's also a New York City-based green designer. Jill, uh, we were talking before the break uh, about the the reasons for your reasons for founding uh, Inhabitats and uh, some of your experience in being a new mom. And I wanted to ask you about specific recommendations that you might have with the experience and, and research you have with green baby products. And, and maybe you can give us a why on, on each of them. Okay. Well, um, one thing I can definitely talk about since I've been, it's been on my mind a lot recently is the whole diaper issue. That's a big one, I think, for probably most new parents, and there's a big debate between disposables versus cloth. Um, I actually recently started using G-diapers, which are a um, flushable diaper, so they're somewhat, they're kind of not really cloth or disposable, they're kind of in between. They're basically, they have the the same sort of eco-friendliness of cloth diapers, but they are more convenient and more disposable. And a and, past guest of this program, I should add, as well, for anybody listening, wants to check that episode out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I love them. I think they're great. I highly recommend them. So I feel like in terms of the diapering, that, that's my big recommendation. Um, I also really love Under the Nile products. They're, it's a company that um, does organic bedding for babies. They also do organic cotton teething toys, um, towels, uh, you know, clothing and onesies. A, a lot of different organic cotton type um, products for babies, and the stuff that they make is really, really cute. And for me, that's a, you know, it's an important consideration in all this. I mean, obviously, the sustainability is is a big factor, and that's kind of the you know the number one factor on which I may make my some of my decisions about products. But I also think it's really important um, to find things that are aesthetically pleasing and bring you joy when you buy them. And when you use them and when you interact with them. So that's part of the reason why I love Under the Nile so much because I actually just love um, love using some of these toys with my baby. They're, they're so cute. Something I recommend is Oof. They make really beautiful, um, sustainable furniture for babies and children. How is that spelled? It's spelled, um, it's the, like the French word. Um, it's spelled Oh, o- like o- eggs? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. O-E-U-S, I believe. I'm a big fan of the Adiri bottle, which is a um, it's a anthropomorphic bottle. It's uh, kind of boob 
um, and it's boob-like in its form. And it's really, <laughs> that's a, it's really, that's it's very descriptive. Meant, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the whole idea is it's meant to, um, meant to avoid sort of nipple confusion if you're trying to, you know, bottle feed a child right. and not have them give up breastfeeding. And right to create it. a more natural experience. Yeah, for the child. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're they're really they're beautifully designed. They're beautiful to look at for parents. They're also um, ergonomic and more natural for babies to suck on. And um, and of course the the materials that they're made out of are environmentally friendly and um, free from toxins. So it's it's a good one. That must have been quite something for you to go from, you know, uh, sort of being exposed to these products and knowing about them from a research standpoint and from a blogger standpoint to actually being a mom who's employing them and really finding out firsthand uh, about them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's I mean, it's been great in a way because I I think I have maybe an extra level of maybe interrogation for products I've been seeking out to use for my, my baby. Um, really everything I've started, when I, when you start to look at something for yourself, you really approach it in a different, a different sort of way than just a, a you know, generic overview for editorial. So yeah, that's exactly what I, what I was wondering. Yeah. So I'm curious now you talk about on both the Inhabitat as well as the Inhabitat site, there's this mantra that you guys have had all along about green design being good design and good design being green design. I'm curious what really for you constitutes good green design? I think it's, um, it's when sustainability is just part of the whole design concept. When, when sustainability is kind of holistically already in the thought process behind the design. So, you know, there's, there's products out there where you can tell that sustainability is sort of tacked on at the end. And, you know, you, the product may have some environmental options, but, the, you know, the aesthetics don't necessarily match or the aesthetics aren't very nice. Or sometimes the reverse situation is that you have a really sleek looking product that is not very sustainable or the claims of sustainability just kind of sound like greenwash. So I think what really is my ideal design is when issues of sort of health and sustainability are issues that are thought about from the get-go and, and they're manifested in the form of, of the product. Yeah, well, certainly, and anybody who might question the uh, potential importance of, of design and, and products and consumer use can only need only look to Apple for an emphasis of the importance there, um, right. as well as a major success story. And also, you mentioned in G Diapers is great, great company, and I, and I really definitely want for you know Green Talk listeners to take a take a listen to that. Um, we it's also a very inspiring uh, business story. Because uh, uh, Jason Graham Nye, uh, he he and his wife, uh, I believe they're from Australia, if I remember correctly, and it's just a very inspiring story of how they took, uh, you know, just as a couple, uh, this business and, and made it what it is today. So uh, yeah, very inspiring from that standpoint as well. Um, we're going to take a break, our last break, and we'll be right back on Green Talk Radio. We're talking today with Jill Fahrenbacher of Inhabitat and Inhabitats, and we'll be right back after this short break. Thanks, everybody. Hey, and we're back on Green Talk Radio talking with Jill Fahrenbacher. She's the founder and editor-in-chief of the very popular green blogs Inhabitat.com and the new Inhabitats.com. And Jill, we were talking before the break uh, just about some of the specifics about making these kinds of choices uh, as parents and, and as families. And I'm just curious, do you see these kinds of choices and changes being easily accessible for most parents? Um, I think 
so. I mean, there's definitely like a little bit of a hurdle. You know, people complain a lot, and rightly so, that environmentally friendly um, products and design tend to be more expensive, and and that it's true. They often are, and mostly the reason behind that is because when things are kind of newly introduced to market, and there's not a wide demand for them. Of course, the cost is usually higher, and it usually requires mass adoption and a lot of demand and mass production for these types of products to start going down in price. So there is there is a little bit of that, but I think that we you know we've seen that people are willing to pay a premium for environmentally friendly products, and I think it's certainly design is a big a big component in terms of the accessibility as well. So I, I do think they're accessible, and I think they're becoming more and more so as the demand is increasing for them. Yeah, well, and that's a, that is a huge area of debate right now. A huge topic of debate is you know should going green cost more green, and we're seeing that a lot. We get a lot on the GreenLivingIdeas.com site. We get a lot of email and reader comments uh, along those lines, and and I found that it sort of depends. It seems to be very product and, and industry specific as to whether or not it does actually cost more because you have mitigating factors like you know when you start involving reuse and recycling, there's a lower cost of sourcing the components. In some cases, not to overly generalize it, but you know there are things that can mitigate it. So I, I think you're right that. You know, there, there is a certain contingent of people, um, maybe the deeper greens that are willing to pay the premium, but then there's also a sort of contingent of people that say, well, you know, uh, especially with the economy the way it is, that, that they just can't afford. They, gee, they'd like to, but they can't afford it. So I, I don't know if you're seeing that as well. Yeah, we definitely see that sort of pushback. I mean, people do complain about prices a lot um, in, in the comments section on Inhabitat. And, I mean, the, the main thing I can just say to that is, uh, you know, that I try to tell people is, you know, try to look at things from a longer-term perspective. I mean, often often products will cost you a little more upfront. Eco-friendly products will cost you more upfront, but save money in the long term. I mean, when you're looking at things like solar power technology, or um, or even consumer goods like furniture, uh, you know, things that you actually have to end up paying a bit more for upfront, but they last a lot longer, or that you know they bring you cost savings in the forms of in the form of energy for years and years. I mean, it's, it's like lights as well, I suppose. Um, you look at LEDs, um, they're actually, LED light bulbs are quite expensive, but they last for 50 years. So they're, they're, they're really quite expensive if you compare them to like a CFL or um, an incandescent bulb. But when you're looking at, you know, when you're looking at not having to change a light bulb for 50 years, that, that ends up becoming better value in the long run so it sh- should be in a house that you're planning on being in for a while if uh, or i guess you bring the bulbs with you too <laughs> right, when you right. leave or sell it that is good and, and you mentioned also solar panels and you know there are companies even that's that's a very classically expensive proposition for people but we're seeing technologies and companies uh, that are coming out with things like solar rentals where to sort of again mitigate those costs it's a very exciting time in the industry just because there is such d- demand that we are just seeing a lot of innovation to service that demand. And like, you know, I can make one more example, I suppose, but it, make it a bit more personal. You know, I, I have this um, this crib from UF, the Eco Baby Furniture Company. And, you know, in terms of, as far as cribs go, it's probably, on, you know, it's on the expensive side of things. But there's a couple of factors. One, it, it has it's convertible, so it has all these convertible features. You know, it starts off with a crib, and you can use it as a changing table, and then it also converts to a toddler bed, and you can use it for your kid until he's 
like five years old. So there's that. So basically it's something that I'm going to get a lot more use value of than something that can only have a kid in for, I don't know, a year or two and can't do anything with it other than have it as a bed. And then, of course, there's um, the materials that go into it. And, you know, you think about the, the health issues. Bedding is quite an important issue, I believe, in terms of um, health with your, your baby because bedding is something that your, your infant is on for a large portion of the time because it's spends much of the time sleeping. And, of course, if you don't want any VOCs or toxic chemicals or anything like that near your baby's face while he's breathing when he's sleeping, so that that's, again, where I think the long-term implications really make an, you know, a higher price worthwhile. So I don't know if you can really measure the, you know, the cost of health problems for your baby, but... Um, yeah, it's one of those sort of priceless areas that there's sort of yeah, zero, exactly. zero yeah, tolerance. Yeah, I feel like I get so. like a MasterCard commercial here. Then, you know, like, <laughs> right. your baby's health, priceless. Yeah, yes. The point that I was trying to make is it's not just about energy, man. When you make when you invest in something that's really high quality, it's a good long-term investment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so Jill, I'm curious, you know, with the existing success that you've enjoyed and you and your staff have enjoyed with both Inhabitat and, and the new Inhabitat site, I wanted to ask, what's next for Jill Fehrenbacher? Well, I think I'm going to just try to uh, enjoy doing Inhabitat and Inhabitat for a while and, and not try to go too crazy, but at some point we're probably going to um, maybe try to roll out some more specific sites the way we, we did with Inhabitat, so possibly um, a fashion site, and that's another, another kind of more specific niche that I don't think all of our writers really want to read about, but there's definitely a, you know, a big contingent who do, so I think that would be a good sub-site to break out and possibly like an architecture site as well. Great. We're very much uh, excited to see any of that coming out, and we very much uh, wish you continued success with the existing two sites as well as with uh, New Motherhood. And uh, my guest today has been Jill Fehrenbacher. She is a new mom, founder and editor-in-chief of the very popular green blogs Inhabitat and Inhabitats. Uh, Jill, thank you again so much for being with us today and taking the time. I know that you have, you literally have your, your baby in the background. Your husband's taking care of him, and, and he was great today. He didn't, uh, we didn't hear a peep, and uh, we just really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much, John. Thanks as always to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.